edition for the Wise Up podcast. This is your host, Azra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up is my platform to educate the Muslim and South Asian community about local Texas and national politics. You can find my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or hear them every Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio Azad. You can also follow me on social media, such as Twitter, Instagram, and my Facebook page, We are all under the handle of WiseUp or WiseUpTX, and you can also check out my website, which is WiseUpTX.com. So remember everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Today's podcast segment is called Convention Chaos, and I'm going to be discussing the Republican National Convention, the Democratic National Convention, along with the DNC leaks that occurred these past couple weeks. So first off, I'm going to start with the Republican National Convention. So here are the good takeaways I took from that convention. I thought Donald Trump's daughter's speech, Ivanka Trump's speech, was amazing. But I did find it interesting in the sense that a lot of the platform that she was describing didn't seem to be the platform that Donald Trump was running on. She seemed very much about gender equality, how he was for women's rights, And we've seen this past year Donald Trump's treatment towards women such as Carly Fiorina, Elizabeth Warren, and of course Hillary Clinton. So I'm not sure if she was talking about the same Donald Trump that we saw, but I didn't find her speech and descriptions about Donald Trump's platform matching up um, with what Donald Trump has been advocating. But I still found her speech to be very, very good, and I can see why those who are already supporting Donald Trump would be even more persuaded and feel more cemented in the reason why they would still vote for Donald Trump. I also found the fact that, you know, he had a Muslim on there that was for Donald Trump and made a speech. There was also an African-American. The founder of PayPal um, also spoke about gay rights. And so you have to kind of give credit to the Republican Party that they're, you know, they didn't keep it um, all, I guess, white people, because that's how people think of the Republican Party. They did attempt to add in some diversity. The main question is, is how effective was it? I don't think there were many Muslim people thinking that, oh, yeah, I'm going to change my mind and vote for Donald Trump because of one gentleman speaking. So... While it was good that they had them in, I guess, to show diversity, I don't think the effect would be very long-lasting. I also wanted to add in something kind of exciting. I don't know if you all remember a couple months ago, I had an interview with um, Vishwajit Singh about sick tunes. Remember, he was a creator, and he actually went up to Cleveland and dressed up as Captain America you know, and he's sick, so he had his turban and beard, and he got a lot of um, press coverage from it, which was quite exciting. And people, of course, had some reactions, but like he had stated in our podcast segment, you know, he uses art as a form to, you know, break the ice and generate a conversation. And I definitely think that he was able to do that in um, Cleveland. I also wanted to know another great thing. I saw a video being posted about a gentleman um, who was Muslim, and he went around Cleveland talking to them about what their thoughts were about Islam and what they thought about Sharia law, and it just seemed like a lot of people 
um, misunderstood it, had a general fear of it, and that's kind of what he was trying to get at was to show that if you start talking to them and trying to have a conversation with them instead of just shutting them out for what they're believing in, you could actually get somewhere. And I think he got somewhere with some people. And I I know I definitely showcased that video on my um, Facebook page and Twitter account, but if you have a chance, please go check it out because I think it's a perfect example of the way that we can break the ice with those that don't understand um, what Muslims and what Islam is about. So... I thought that was a great takeaway um, from Cleveland. Moving on to the not-so-great parts. Um, Donald Trump's speech was long. It was actually the longest speech, and it was an hour and 15 minutes. I like to make a joke that since I survived listening to his entire speech, does this mean I can survive his presidency? I mean, God knows. We'll see. Um, Ted Cruz, a senator from Texas, Our home state did not endorse Donald Trump, and that caused a lot of controversy. He was essentially booed off stage. Um, His wife had to attain security in order to um, get out of the convention center. And there are those that are thinking that he was basically being selfish and only looking ahead um, for his election or to campaign for his election in 2020. So it seemed like he wasn't willing to, um, you know, have any party unity there. Um, It was also notable that uh, Marco Rubio, John Kasich, um, both President Bushes um, also boycotted the Republican National Convention along with Mitt Romney. Um, I'm going to go back on Donald Trump's speech. He decided that there would still be a ban on refugees, which had links to terrorism. So it's not necessarily a Muslim ban, but it's those countries that have links to terrorism. Um, I think that's just a nicer way of wording it. Uh, He also blamed Hillary Clinton for creating ISIS, and I don't think that's necessarily true. And he also, and not just him in particular, but I noticed throughout the entire convention that many of the speakers and a lot of the people attending the convention were talking about jailing Hillary Clinton. And that seems pretty scary. There was even a delegate that talked about how she should be shot. I know that there's always some sort of um, anger and a lot of, you know, trash talking when it comes to a political election, but there is no need, absolutely no need to sit there and state things that oh, you know, she should be shot and she deserves to go to jail. And just the amount of hate that was occurring during the convention really, it really had me scared. And last but not least, we heard about Donald Trump's wife plagiarizing uh, Michelle Obama's speech. And initially they had denied it. And then finally they actually caved in and admitted their wrongdoing. And she was definitely made fun of, um, all across social media for that one. Well, that incident was incredibly embarrassing for the Republican Party. The Democratic Party also had their own embarrassing moment with the DNC leak. So apparently someone hacked into the system and released 20,000 emails. Um, I guess there were internal emails within the DNC, which is the Democratic National um, Committee. And... The DNC is known to help um, propel the Democratic platform forward, to help 
people in the Democratic Party, like those who are running uh, to win elections. And in this instance, like in the presidential election, they're supposed to stay neutral. And it looked very obvious from the emails that they weren't very neutral at all and that they were very much pro-Hillary and not for Bernie Sanders or, you know, being impartial. There have been rumors um, by the Democratic Party that Russia was involved in this hack. And while that is a very troubling instance, I don't think it's an excuse for what happened. It was a complete abomination. And this is exactly why people have lost their trust with the government. And a lot of people who are Bernie Sanders fans um, who are kind of coming around to being Hillary Clinton fans, um, you know, this obviously cements the notion to them that the primary was rigged and that it was, you know, Bernie Sanders actually had a chance and that's the only reason why Hillary Clinton won, etc., etc. And that's not something Hillary Clinton's uh, campaign doesn't need right now because this, uh, you know, presidential election is already so close. And what I'm want to um, talk about and discuss is that I don't think that that was necessarily the case. I am in full um, criticism of what the DNC did, what those emails said, and, you know, how they wanted to bring in religion to, you know, kind of throw Bernie Sanders off guard. And I don't think any of that was okay. But at the same time, I don't think Hillary Clinton uh, won because of the DNC uh, rigging it. I think there was discussion where they didn't like Bernie Sanders and they... Um, you know, tried to be more for supporting Hillary Clinton, but we don't have the proof yet that they actually did rig it or that any actions um, came about. But I also want to add that at the end of the day, Hillary Clinton would have won the election regardless. I mean, she had killed Bernie Sanders in the South. He was very much unable to identify with the African-American community and the Latino community in which Hillary Clinton has deep, deep roots. And so I think at the end of the day, she would have still won. I think that um, that Bernie Sanders, when he called for the DNC chair, um, Wasserman Schultz, to resign, I think that was a great call. I think that was a victory in that she left. And um, it did seem that uh, Hillary Clinton and President Obama kind of had a more conciliatory remark when she resigned and that she was, you know, kind of like an honorary campaign manager for Hillary Clinton's campaign. A lot of people are upset about it, but I don't think that that position has much value. And now a lot of articles have been coming out, especially from Politico, discussing how both Obama's administration and Hillary Clinton's um, staffers are very frustrated with her and they, you know, just kind of dealt with the situation, and now they actually had a chance to, I guess, kick her out from that position, and that's exactly what happened. I will say this, that when you are having those types of emails out there, it, does, it doesn't show that it's a proper democracy, and you have to give props to the Republican Party that even though the majority of them have disliked Donald Trump so much, um, they... You know, they have talked about ways to, I guess, maneuver him out, etc., etc., but at the end of the day, they, um, they, they stuck with him, and while the convention was somewhat chaotic, at the end of the day, they still had him as their nominee, and they let the democratic process um, take place.
But we haven't seen their leaked emails. And I would also like to add how Donald Trump has gone on television and stated that if the Russians were behind it, they should try and hack Hillary Clinton's emails. I don't think it's presidential at all in a good place to tell a foreign country, one that we haven't been on the best terms with, to come and, you know, hack somebody in our own country. Like, this just doesn't seem very patriotic to me. Now, that situation happened like the weekend before the DNC actually started in the city of um, Philadelphia. I found Philadelphia to actually be a very fitting place for the DNC convention, and the reason being is that the Declaration of Independence was signed there, and now you're having your first female presidential nominee uh, come in, and I think it's just a city of significance, and so I was very excited for that, but I was um, quite disappointed with what had happened in the DNC leaks, but I was really hoping to see some party unity, and I think that we definitely got that. So we started with the most impeccable and flawless speech that we saw was Michelle Obama's, and hey, Donald Trump's wife, maybe she could have plagiarized that speech instead because that speech was just impeccable and it was flawless. I thought she did a great, great job trying to unite the party. She was incredibly persuasive. Um, I thought... You know, when she made that comment about she lives in a house that was built by slaves, you had people like Bill O'Reilly and other people talking about how they took offense to it, that she was trying to create a racial divide. I think that's completely untrue. I think what she was trying to make the point was that, you know, this country has a sad, sad history of slavery, and we have come so far. And we still have further to go, but we have still come so far as a nation, and we should still be proud of it. Um, after she spoke, um, Senator Warren, Elizabeth Warren, also spoke. And, you know, she had the crowd there that would have cheered her on, that would have loved her, but in all honesty, her speech kind of fell flat. And I don't think she did a really great job um, trying to really rally the crowd. It seemed too rehearsed, too forced. It didn't seem like her usual laid-back style. And then Bernie Sanders came on, and wow, his reception with that crowd was just incredible and phenomenal. He had about a three-minute standing ovation, and his speech really, really, really reiterated party unity. I don't think he did it, like, you know, half-heartedly. Sure, I think this was the most difficult thing for him, and I definitely think that when he got that standing ovation for three minutes, it must have been so hard to go up there and rally for Hillary Clinton because in his head he's like, wow, I still have so much popularity, so much love, and, you know, now I have to go and, um, you know, rally for this lady that I just campaigned for. And I give him a lot of props. I have a lot of respect for him. I think what he did was incredibly classy. And a message to his supporters and to those that are, you know, in the progressive movement, I think that they have made a huge impact. And you have to remember, Rome wasn't built in a day. So you can't expect like a huge revolutionary movement or revolutionary change to come in just one day. It takes time. And while, you know, Bernie Sanders was able to incorporate many of his um, progressive platforms into the Democratic platform. Um, you know, there's still a long ways to go just because it's in there nationally. It doesn't mean that those who are Bernie Sanders fans shouldn't, 
you know, try and get it in local elections and local politics and rally at the grassroots because that's really where it starts. If you want like a third party platform or change the party within, you got to start at the grassroots and then work your way up. And so I still think that Bernie Sanders and his supporters should be incredibly proud of the accomplishments they've achieved because it's a lot. It's huge. I think what he did was incredible. And some of the things he you know, got into the platform was, you know, getting rid of superdelegates, um, increasing the minimum wage to $15 an hour, um, stuff on environment, uh, free public education with regards to colleges, and, you know, trying to get rid of the TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership um, Trade Agreement. And I think the way he ended up nominating Hillary Rodham Clinton, you know, they have the roll call day, and they nominate where the delegates should go, and he was the one that nominated Hillary Rodham Clinton, and I thought that was a great, great show of party unity. Then you had Bill Clinton's speech, and personally, I thought he did a great job uh, humanizing Hillary Clinton. You know, we always think of them as a couple entwined for the sake of power, but I think he offered a completely different perspective. You know, he talked about how he saw her, he tried to woo her, he proposed to her several times, and she kept saying no, and then when she did, you know, she took it upon herself to move to Arkansas. And I think overall, the majority of his speech was great, but I do think that his comment about Muslim Americans, and that if you love America and freedom and hate terror, then help us win. And I thought it was a comment made in very bad taste, and, you know, he's had plenty of speeches. Like, he was president of the United States for eight years, and he has great speech writers, and he should have known better, especially with the current political climate. And I think with this climate, you know, you need to show inclusivity of Muslims and that we offer more than just defending, like, terrorism. You know, we offer, like, great doctors, great attorneys, great engineers, and so many other things. And that we shouldn't be defined just, oh, yeah, we're defending against terror. So I think he could have done a much better job with that. Now, um, after that, like, Wednesday was a really, really big day. It was packed. You had, you know, Joe Biden, Michael Bloomberg, and um, the new VP pick, Tim Kaine, and President Obama. So to start with, you know, I thought Joe Biden was really great, and I wonder if he had any regrets at the fact that he didn't try to run for president. But I thought he did an incredible job attacking um, Donald Trump. I loved the analogy he used, talking about average Joe, and that it's not a compliment, but it caters, um, you know, to those that are and not as sophisticated. And I think that comment and statement, he was really trying to cater to the demographic of. Um, uneducated white males because that is the big demographic that Hillary Clinton really has trouble with. And I don't think most Democrats have really done that. You know, they've done a lot in criticizing Trump at one point, but they haven't done certain things to include that demographic that she is having the most difficulty with. Um, and then you had Michael Bloomberg, and I thought his speech was good. He was um, really trying to cater to the independents, the ones that were for Bernie Sanders or the ones that are on the fence for Trump or Clinton. And he was really making the point that, hey, Hillary Clinton is way better than Donald Trump. Like, she has the experience. And that while he may not agree with her and everything, she is a much better choice. 
Um, there were a lot of political pundits that were, you know, talking about how helpful his speech would be. And they were saying that, you know, he is a very wealthy person and he's run both Republican and Democrat, but how much political clout is he really going to bring when you're that wealthy? And I think that's a fair statement to make because most of the people that are on the fence are those that have economic inequalities, and that's not something Michael Bloomberg really um, connects with several people on. So it'll be something to watch for to see if he really did make an impact with that speech. After that, you had Tim Kaine, who is the VP candidate um, along with Hillary Clinton. And, you know, to be honest, and I didn't really cover um, Governor Pence's speech, who is a VP candidate for Donald Trump, but I thought Pence's speech in um, the way he spoke was better. I didn't appreciate his rhetoric necessarily. I liked Tim Kaine's rhetoric, but I think he struggled. And I know I haven't really spoken much about Hillary Clinton's choice of Tim Kaine. I do like him. I think he is a great choice. Um, I did have the chance to meet him about a year ago, and he was very humble, down to earth, you know, shook my hand, chatted with me like I was a normal human being. I mean, there are several times you'll meet politicians who just think that they're too good for you. He never, ever gave off that vibe. And I think that's kind of, you know, the opposite of the vibe many people feel that Hillary Clinton gives off. And um, at the end of the day, I think, yeah, he isn't someone that progressives are going to love. He isn't exciting. He isn't a minority. But I think at the end of the day, you know, you have the progressives already campaigning for Hillary, such as Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and they're going to rally to her, and they're going to rally their supporters to her at the end of the day. But I think having Tim Kaine there and having the demographic that she's having difficulty with, which is... Um, the white male voters, like he is someone that can bring them over and I think he can win them over with his easy um, and nice um, attitude. So while he may come off as maybe boring, but I think he's steady, he's incredibly smart, and he knows exactly what he's doing. Last but not least, we had President Obama's speech and what a speech it was. Um, he had a montage which kind of showed a recollection of, you know, all the big things that have happened during his presidency, his legacy, basically. And I'm not going to lie, I got a little teary-eyed. I'm really going to miss him. And I know I'm still young and, you know, I have hopefully a long life to live, but I really think he's one of the best speakers of our time. And I thought his speech for Hillary was incredible. It was passionate it was inspiring, and he really seemed like he believed in Hillary. And th and that's something that, you know, while reading a lot of um, political blogs and articles, I've heard that people who get to know Hillary are incredibly loyal to her. And it definitely felt like the Obamas were incredibly loyal to her in their speech. Like, she inspires loyalty out of people, and that's what they showed. It didn't seem like a speech that was just, okay, I'm doing it for the sake of doing it. Like, they really, really meant it. And... I think one of the best lines he had in that entire speech was when he was discussing Donald Trump and people started booing, and he said, don't boo, vote. And I think that's the best line probably from this entire convention because that is the most important and pivotal thing to do. And 
he also talked about how we need to have, you know, optimism and hope for our country, that our country isn't terrible as, like, Donald Trump and the way the RNC presented it. They had this pessimistic out view that we need to make America great again. We're weak and we need to become stronger. And he had this view of that we are strong. We're already great. And that there is optimism and hope for even a better future. And that's not something that, you know, we need to be afraid of. And at the end of the day, you know, he spoke that, you know, how Democrats carried him in 2008 and 2012, that's exactly what the Democratic Party needs to do to carry her. And then she came out and, um, you know, I thought they did a great job um, standing there together. And there was some great photos of them hugging and chatting. And I thought that was pretty incredible because you had your first African-American president and possibly the first um, female president of the United States. And I think that was an incredible and defining moment for America. Moving on to the very last day, um, you know, we had two important speakers. We had a gentleman and his wife who um, came from Pakistan and their son had um, served in the Iraq war. And then we also had Hillary Clinton's speech. So the gentleman and his wife that um, came on stage, they spoke about how they were Muslim Americans and that they had, their son had served. Um, the great country of America and had died in action and saving um, most of his comrades and that um, Muslim Americans have gotten a bad reputation due to Donald Trump. He uh, asked if Donald Trump had ever read the Constitution and had ever been to Arlington Cemetery where you can see people of all ethnicities and religions who serve the United States of America and I thought his speech was incredibly compelling, and I hope that our community saw it and, you know, feel the motivation and the need to go vote this November. And then we had Chelsea Clinton, who was introducing her, her mother, um, Hillary, and I thought her speech was pretty good in that, you know, she really personified the type of person Hillary really is behind the scenes because I think the general public just has this negative perception of her that she's very strict and heartless and has no feelings at all. And I think Chelsea did a great job dispelling that. And then there was a montage of Hillary and um, Morgan Freeman was narrating it, which everyone loved. And it really highlighted her accomplishments, which I think was great because I think with a lot of the rhetoric that goes on recently, um, her accomplishments get overshadowed, and she's an incredibly accomplished woman. And then she came out on stage, and you could tell that she was having a moment with her daughter where she, you know, kind of had to pull it all together because she might have, let, you know, let loose and had a lot of emotions, and I'm sure it was a very emotional night for her. And so I think her speech overall was pretty good. I think she started kind of slow, and then she picked up along the way and um, was much better about it. And I think given um, how she's not been a great speaker, that this was a pretty big milestone and a pretty big accomplishment for her. Now I've seen, you know, recently on my social media how um, several people are very upset with um, Hillary Clinton being the nominee for uh, various reasons. And maybe they're not willing to vote or they are you know, going to vote for a third-party candidate. And I just want to say something. I One, I definitely think you should vote because I think anything 
to get Donald Trump or make sure that he has not become president of the United States is very imperative, especially for our community. And two, I just wanted to say certain things. I know that many people aren't happy with Hillary Clinton's foreign policy um, or stuff that she's voted on in the Senate compared to Bernie Sanders. But I do want to point, and I'm quoting this from the New York Times, is that with Bernie Sanders, she has voted the same, like, on the same stuff. 93% of the time, they voted the same. And so they're not as different as you may think they are. And yes, they do have their policy differences, and, and that's normal amongst all candidates. But this doesn't mean that she is undeserving of um, praise for the accomplishments that she has done. You know that she was the first, um, first lady of the United States that had a postgraduate degree. She was one of the first law firm partners of the third oldest law, uh, law firm in the nation. Uh, she also was an attorney for the Children's Defense Fund. Um, she has also spearheaded many um, things such as... Um, in the DOJ, a program for violence against women. She spearheaded that. She spearheaded a coalition in Arkansas to uh, figure out how to make their education system better when she was first lady while uh, Bill Clinton was governor. She has a lot of accomplishments. She is very well educated. She came from middle class means. Uh, she went to Yale Law School. So a lot of times I feel like people just, you know, completely just ignore the accomplishments that she has achieved. And I think that's wrong. And I think you need to sit there. And if you really want to be completely critical of her, you also need to sit there and go through all of her votes that she went against Bernie Sanders to notify those notable differences instead of just listening to what everything in the media tells you. And that is the purpose of Wise Up is to make sure people understand and learn more and become more educated instead of just completely listening off what they hear in the media. You may hear things on this podcast and things from me and just take it verbatim. And that's great because I do do my research before I talk on this podcast. But you should still go and read up afterwards and learn more about certain things, especially things that you know catch your interest. And last but not least, to those uh, people who are huge Bernie Sanders fans, I think they have done an immense job of getting certain their, certain of their accomplishments and platform into the Democratic platform, you know, such as the wage and the TPP and several other things. And I think that's a major accomplishment, and I think that's something that everyone should be proud of. And people need to realize that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day, change isn't going to happen very, very quickly, but it takes time. And so I'm going to tell you that while you may not like Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump as your presidential nominees, you should still vote because local elections matter. And that's what's really going to make the largest impact in your day-to-day -day life. Not only that, when and if you say that you want to bring about change and you want change to happen, you also need to remember that change starts with you such as you going to go vote, such as you going to your politicians and telling them what your values are and what um, you would like your politician to vote. Because if you are not going to sit there and get up and actually try and induce the change yourself, 
then nothing is ever going to happen. You can sit there and you can post things on social media or chat with your friends about how you don't like how politics are and how things are going. But you also need to realize this is a democracy. So you don't just vote. You also keep tabs on your politicians and what those votes um, they're making. And that is a point that you become involved. So people, I feel like, have been sitting there complaining and saying certain things, but they themselves have not personally gotten involved. And I don't think that's fair if you are not getting involved and then expecting some politician to come and bring change for you. That's not going to happen. They are not perfect, and they are not those that are going to listen to people who don't show interest in the democratic process. So if you sincerely want change, and if you sincerely are unhappy with your presidential candidates, you also need to start with the grassroots, which is in those local politics, and try and vote for those progressive politicians because it works its way up. That's how everything works. So at the end of the day, you want change, you, yourself, need to start. And that is when change will slowly come about. And speaking of um, voting and wising up on local politicians, in the next couple of weeks I will begin uh, interviewing several local politicians running um, for office, whether it's in the state legislature or in Congress. So I hope you'll be tuning in. And don't forget to like my Facebook page, Wise Up, and follow me on Twitter and Instagram. And you can also check out this podcast and other podcasts um, on SoundCloud and iTunes. And finally, don't forget to check out my website, www.wiseuptx.com. And remember, everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Until next time.